0: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here.
1: Hey, have I told you about that dream I had the other day? What dream? So I had this dream. It was a sweaty dream? No. Nah. Okay. I was on this adventure. Yep. Well, I was in Germany during this dream. You're in Germany? Yeah. Were and you I, wearing liederhausen I was, yes. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely was. And I was drinking Steins of beer. And I just got this overwhelming Need to buy a dog. Oh, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. So I just popped on over to Hausenberg Shepherds. Oh, why wouldn't you? You'd have to. And I know that they have the best German Shepherds, but (laughs) the German Shepherds. So I bought one of their Dutchies. Oh, man. The best. Shit-mouthing German (laughs) (laughs) Shepherds. And so, so then in this dream, I finished my giant beer and Mm -hmm. I took off my Lena Hosen. Yep. And I got that Dutchie mm-hmm. and I put it on a plane yep. because they can ship them anywhere. It turns out I didn't have to even be there to buy this dog in this dream. Right. And I, I flew it over to the US. Yep. all right. So when I got there, I realized I need some equipment for this dog, this duchy that I've got. Wait, were you in Canada or were you in the US? Well, I was in North America. I was somewhere. It's not important exactly Okay. Where. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, you know what I need? Some like training gear, some collars, some leashes, harnesses. So, guess where I got it from? It sounds like it's a big lead up to an old mate, Mach Lapointe. Mach Lapointe. I just yeah. got onto Canon Dynamics yep. and had it shipped to me. Mm. Didn't matter where I was in the US or North America, actually. Yep. I had Canon Dynamics ship it to me. It was wonderful.
2: wonderful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, then I'm out training this duchy mm. in his all of his fancy equipment. The yep. duchy that I got from House Amberg Shepherds mm-hmm. using the equipment I got from Canon Dynamics. Yep. And then- I was training in a dog park because that's how I train. Mm -hmm. And there were some people and they had some sort of unruly behavior from their dog. Yep. And I think at this point I was in Ashland, Virginia. And uh, fancy that. I thought, I said to them, they were like, oh, can you help us with this dog? I said, no, fuck you. I don't want to. I'm a dog park
2: daddy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: I said, fuck you. I don't want to, yep. but I know someone who will come to your home here in Ashland, Virginia while you're at work and will do like a little bit of training session with your dog while you're gone. No way. You're not talking
2: about Melanie Benway.
1: It was Melanie Benway. I was Bloody talking hell. about Kindred Canine. So I gave those details anyway. So I went on to, you know, do some cool things with this duchy mm-hmm. and then I had to come back to Australia yep. and I brought the dog. Wow. But you know what I didn't bring? What? Was any of his equipment. Oh, he left it all there. I left it all there. Okay. So I needed all new gear. And guess where I got my leashes, collars, tugs, harnesses. Dog mills. Blah, 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 blah. Bullfed Central. Ironswick dog quip. Ironswick bullfed. Yeah. Yeah. And when I got here, I realized, oh, you know what? I had been traveling this fictional dog in my dream around mm-hmm. in the crate that he was shipped from uh, House Amberg Shepherds. Yeah. But well, I need a custom crate now. So I had a custom crate pill by the Buffed. Wow. Einzawick.com. Einzweiner, Einzweiner.
2: Yeah. Ainswina. Ains- yeah. So after your dream when you woke up, did you wake up with a boner? You've ruined it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co host, Glenn Cook. And joining us on the phone, all the way from Florida, is Haley, also sort of known as Haley and Scout, mm. famous on Instagram.
2: <laughs> we literally got told we would be lynched if we didn't have her on the show by people who have been fans and followers of Haley. So, Haley, welcome to the show. And this is a little story, I guess, about you and Scout. We're big fans and so are our listeners of Origin Story.
1: so I think that's where we want to go with this. I just realized as I was saying, welcome to the show, I have no idea what your last name is. Young, Haley Young. <laughs> I was like, Haley, drawing it out while I think, and then Hayley I was like, no, there's nothing to remember. I don't know it. <laughs> Young. <laughs>
0: oh, I love it. I love it. Hayley and Scout works. That's perfect.
1: <laughs> so welcome to the show. Like Glenn was saying, you've been basically people demanded to hear from you. And so here you are. <laughs> So let's go back to the start. Uh, How is it this come to be? Why are we talking?
0: I think that my journey in being a dog lover and a dog person, I kind of look at it as having three different stages. So when I was a little kid, I grew up with two childhood dogs and I I loved dogs. I didn't really know much about dogs. I definitely had that, you know, I was a starry-eyed little kid and every dog was fluffy and wonderful and I just wanted to pet them. Um, Didn't really know anything about training. My family dogs were woefully untrained. Um, We skated by, they were Bashans. So they're, they're small and white and fluffy, and we lived a pretty rural lifestyle. Um, So they never really had much training, but we, you know, we got to do some things with them. They had a pretty good life. And then when I was a sophomore in college, my family adopted a special needs Siberian Husky. Her name was Snort which she had that name at the shelter and we knew her for about three months in the shelter before we brought her home. So by the time we brought her home, it was way too late to change her name. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was the first time for me. So, you know, I knew I loved dogs. I'd always thought that Huskies were really cool. In hindsight, a Husky is a horrible fit for me as an individual, and I will never have one on my own. Um, But I, you know, I'd, I'd always been interested in dogs. And then we brought Snort home and we were kind of faced with this reality of, she's a lot bigger than our old dogs and she kind of looks like a wolf and some people are afraid of her. And she was our first, you know, rescue dog. All mm-hmm. of her other dogs were from breeders. Um, so that's when I first started getting interested in, in training at all. I didn't really realize that training was an accessible thing before that. I think that I would see dogs who were trained to work or on TV And it just never seemed like something I could do with my family dogs. Mm -hmm. Like my, my childhood dogs, Larry and Lucy could sit or lay down. If you had a treat in your hand and you lured them into it Mm -hmm. and that was it. But then when we adopted snort and I started learning, I realized how, how we're training our dogs all the time. Mm-hmm. And I started to get a little bit obsessed with it. I was really into it with her. That's where I learned some of the basics, still new next to nothing. I look back at that period in my life now, and I'm like, oh my goodness, you were still just a starry-eyed little kid. So my my family had Snort. I came home from college pretty much every weekend to help train her. I'm the one that taught her very basic obedience, you know, a loose leash walk and some stays and, and really baseline things. She was a really good dog. She's pretty weird. She's poorly bred. She's a little shy, but she is submissive and obedient and responsive and wasn't much of a challenge. So then two years later, I had graduated college. I was out on my own. I was in a dog friendly apartment and we were dropping off some donations at the same shelter that we got my family's Husky from. And that is the first time that I met Scout, saw her through the in her shelter kennel and she was adorable and shy and reminded me a lot of snort. And I was absolutely obsessed with snort. Our husky was supposed to be my dog when I graduated college. She has some special needs and her eyes don't produce really any tears. So she gets eye drops. Yeah. Yeah. She gets medicine like seven to 10 times a day. That's something that my, my parents, my family has the schedule where they can provide that for her and they Mm -hmm. can give her a really good life. But the reality just was that I couldn't uproot her from my parents' house after living there for two years. It it wouldn't have been fair to her. So she's really happy at their house, but I was dogless and I didn't wanna be dogless. So I I met Scout, her name was Zip at the shelter. Zip. And Zip, yep, wasn't a good fit for her. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I, I fell in love with her. You know, She was speckled and had these cute pointy ears and these are horrible reasons to be interested in a dog. We all know that now. But I took her into a visiting room and she just she was shy, but sweet and had this handler focus like she was just ready to pay attention to me. And I put in an application for her, ended up adopting her. And this is when things got got a little bit more messy. So I thought I knew what I was doing. You know, i had been interested in learning about training with snort. I had taught our husky to walk on a harness without pulling. So, you know, I felt like I knew everything there was to know. Right. Which is so silly looking back. And I was told when she was at the shelter that Scout needed some confidence around other dogs. She had had a couple of dog greetings at the shelter where she was really, really fearful. And then she had had a couple where she was reactive and and blew up and reacted when they tried to greet other dogs. And so she didn't play with any dogs at the shelter. She didn't interact with any dogs there at all. And I didn't see that for what it was when I brought her home. Mm. And I, I knew that she was afraid of other dogs. Like I knew she needed some confidence, but I didn't think about it very critically. So I bring her home to my third floor apartment in downtown Madison in Wisconsin state Capitol. And the biggest piece of advice that I had been given was don't make other dogs a big deal. Like if she's a little bit scared, just show her that they're not a big deal. I don't think that's bad advice. I think that was bad advice for me as an individual, just the person that I am. And the way that I interpreted that advice was pretty counterproductive to our success as a team. So I have this dog, I just brought her home from the shelter. She came in as a stray before this, no one knows anything about her history. And I've had her in my, you know, in my apartment for like a single day. And I start taking her out on walks and there's plenty of dogs on the street. And as anytime we're on a walk, I just have it in my head. Don't make a big deal out of other dogs. Like don't make a big deal. So we pass a ton of other dogs. And every time we pass another dog, I'm in my head because I'm nervous. I know that she's nervous and I'm trying not to make a big deal of it. So I never created space for her. I never advocated for her. And I let several dogs get get into her space and sniff her and make her really uncomfortable. It's hard to think about some of these moments with the relationship that she and I have today. It's hard to remember that I knew she was scared and I thought I was doing the right thing by just like walking by and and not not doing anything. I wonder how much would be different if those first few days I brought her home, if I just stepped between her and another dog just one time or Mm -hmm. two times, if I just showed her that I had her back. But I was trying to not make a big deal. So then at at the two week mark, it was exactly two weeks after I brought her home to the day, we were out on a morning walk and I see a dog up on the sidewalk ahead and I'm, I'm just doing what I've been trying to do the whole time and not make a big deal of it. Um, He looked like he was pretty under control. He was on a leash. It, It was a retractable leash, but like he seemed, you know, he's walking with his handler, no big deal. He was dead silent. And as, as soon as we passed him. So as we actually reach each other on the sidewalk at the last second, he lunged and pinned Scout To the sidewalk. Just completely went for her. I've never heard her squeal like that after. I hope I never do. Um, She she didn't have physical injuries. I didn't have to take her to the emergency room or anything like that. But that was the moment where it was like someone flipped a switch and every dog we saw after that moment, she blew up at them from, from a city block away. If we left our apartment door and there was a dog off in the distance, she would bark and growl and lunge and hackle and put on this whole big show. And I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I I had known that she was afraid and I kind of fell into that mindset of, Oh, all dogs need is love. And like, it'll get better with time. And and I was just kind of naive about the whole thing, to be honest. Um, My heart was in the right place the whole time I've loved her from the day I brought her home, but I did not know what I was dealing with. So now I have this, fear reactive Australian cattle dog living with me in a city. I'm sure that all of the trainers listening to this right now are just shaking their heads at my (laughs) stupidity. But that's what really kind of started stage three of me as a dog person, where I went from as a little kid, just being really naive about dogs. And then with snort, I started to learn a little bit about training and realized that You can grow with your dogs and you can build a relationship and it can be deeper than what I knew as a child. And then in the last two years with Scout, I've really, really just come to appreciate the depth of relationship that we can create with dogs. We've done a lot of work on her reactivity. She's still um, she's still a little scared of other dogs like she does not want a strange dog to come up into her face. And I am perfectly okay with that. I spent months failing her and allowing that exact thing to happen. So I'm, I'm happy to advocate for her now. Um, But we can walk on narrow trails. We can pass other dogs. We can hang out at patios at restaurants. I can take her to the coffee shop. There's so much that we can do today that I never thought would be possible. And that's just been such a, such a rewarding process with her. And it's been so emotional. Like I didn't realize What it was like to have a reactive dog. And it was so difficult coming in as a new dog owner. And none of my friends' dogs were like this. None of my family's dogs were like this. And you worry if it's your fault and you overthink. And it's really embarrassing. Like, it's hard to have your dog blowing up at the end of the leash and then people on the street think that they're aggressive or mean and you know that you shouldn't care about those things because who cares what a stranger thinks like you want to be this tough person who doesn't care and who isn't bothered and i was i was so bothered i couldn't pretend to be that that tough person i'm a i'm a pretty emotional person i get nervous easily myself in a lot of ways i i was maybe one of the worst people who could have adopted scout because <laughs> she's a She's a nervous, you know, She she's a nervy dog. She's definitely not well-bred. Who knows what her first two years of life were. And I'm a pretty nervous human. Um, as a human, I can be pretty reactive. So it's been a journey of growing together. And I think that there's a chance that I've grown more than I've helped her, actually. Mm. Like the, there's a there's a chance that she's taught me more about being a stable human because I had to learn how to be that for her or I was letting her down. The way I ended up here on this podcast is that in those early days, I started an Instagram account for Scout and the purpose was really, I knew I was interested in training and I wanted to post about it. I wanted to share about it. And I didn't want all of my personal account, social media friends to get totally sick of me if I posted five pictures of my dog every week. Mm -hmm. So I figured let's just start an Instagram. That's just for her. And then anyone who follows that, they can't complain if I'm posting about her all the time because they signed up to follow it. Mm -hmm. And in the two years since it's become a lot more than that. You know, what started as just a personal journal for me to track progress and post photos without driving people I know in real life, crazy, like here's another photo of her dog has turned into a a much larger community. And I really liked one of the points that came up in your influencer episode where you talked about folks being able to learn from the community and and share experiences. And I don't think there's, you know, there's nothing that replaces professional training advice. And I'm absolutely not advocating that people learn how to train their dogs completely from social media or anything like that. But the community aspect that has come from that has been really, really powerful. And somehow two years later, here I am on one of the very first dog training podcasts I listened to. Now I'm a a guest on it. It's wild.
1: (laughs) That's cool. Hey, so I'm really curious. Thanks for sharing. That's an interesting Mm. story, right? And I think it's one that's probably reflected. I I bet you there's thousands of people sitting in their car, nodding, going like, yes, yes, that's what happened to me. (laughs) There's two aspects of this that I really am very, very interested in. First is the training journey. Like, you know, you sort of identified yourself as a person who's interested in dogs and had done a little bit of training and you know, like the basics kind of stuff. And now, you know, it's baptism by fire. You're in the deep end and you've got to figure this out. That certainly, you know, was my own journey with dogs many years ago was that I just had a dog that was just outside of my capability. I thought I had a skill set and very quickly found out that I didn't. And so I had to develop what I thought I had and become, actually become what I thought I was. So I'm interested in that and I want to dive into that with you and, you know, who did you go to, positive and negative experiences, Mm. leave out the names of the negative experiences, but let's go into that. And then I want to come back around and talk about how you've changed and the effects of learning these things on the dog has influenced you and changed you as a person.
0: Perfect. Easy questions, right? No, no big answers here. Um, (laughs) Oh boy. It has been, it's been quite a journey. In the beginning, I think I would have identified probably as force free, but I don't know if I really would have like claimed that. Like when I first started getting into training with my family's Husky, that's just all I knew. We worked with a trainer who was recommended to us by the shelter that we adopted her from. And she taught us some of the very basic behaviors, you know, like teaching a sit and a down and and a stay and that sort of thing. So that was the foundation that I had initially was just like I'd learned a little bit from this one person who did some in-person lessons for our Husky And I internalized a lot of that. And then when Scout started, you know, showing this, this reactivity, it was hard for me because I never had any doubt of the cause. Like, I think that sometimes it's tough if a dog is blowing up at other dogs on the leash, it might be frustrated because it wants to say hi and it can't say hi. It might, you know, might be boundary frustration, or maybe it's a mix of the dog kind of wants to say hi, but doesn't know. And and with Scout, I knew from the very beginning that she was afraid I hate to admit it, especially in front of everyone, but I think it's probably important that in the first few months of owning her, even after she started showing her reactivity, we were rushed by several off-leash dogs. I'd say probably seven or eight in those first few months. And I did not successfully keep a single one from reaching her. She really had no trust in me. Essentially, Mm -hmm. like I brought her home to my apartment attached her to me with a a piece of rope, essentially, like here she is stuck on this leash, let other dogs sniff her. Then she got attacked when she was on the street with me two weeks later. And then even once she started blowing up at other dogs and making it very clear that she did not want to get near them, I let other dogs get into her space. The one thing about that that was remotely positive is that I could see how she responded every time a dog reached her. And every single time she would either lay down or completely cower between my legs, there was nothing in her wanted a fight with another dog. That was good for me because it gave me confidence. Not that it matters. I, I'm friends with people who have dogs who are aggressive dogs and they're great dogs and they live great lives. They just need to be managed responsibly and properly. And I'm, I'm not trying to knock dogs who, who do want to be in a fight, not at all, but f- for me, it was helpful to know that she didn't want to fight. She was scared. It also made training a little bit complicated because there's a lot of fear mongering that goes out in the industry, especially if you have a fearful dog. A lot of people will like to tell you that you can never punish that dog or never correct them and that you're going to make the fear worse. And it it's really jumbled and it's intimidating, especially when you're a newer owner and you just want to do right by your dog and you don't know how. And now you have five different people telling you five things that all kind of contradict each other. And you're not sure who to listen to. And here's someone who says that if you put a prong collar on your dog, that you're a horrible owner and you know, you shouldn't listen to them, but some small part of you is, is susceptible to that and and feels, feels bad. and, And you start to second guess. And then you have other people who say that if you don't correct your dog at the first sign of loading, or if you don't do X or you don't do Y or Z, that essentially that you're a bad owner. That's something I've become really passionate about as time has gone on is this idea that the dog world can be intimidating, especially to people who are struggling and who are unsure. And that's something I try to be really conscious of on our Instagram platform is that I I try not to use too much second person. So I, I avoid saying something like you need to do this with your dog or your dog needs to have this skill. And I try to be really conscious of phrasing it as in my life with her, it's important to me that scout has this skill Mm -hmm. Um, because there were a couple of people in the early days who encouraged me and helped me. And again, social media is not the place to go for training advice. I I do not recommend just following things that you see on Instagram. um, If you're dealing with reactivity or aggression or any other problem, but that was part of my journey. Part of the beginning of my journey was a couple of people on those platforms who were really kind to me and really encouraging and showed me the best of the online dog community and gave me the space to learn. And that's what opened my mind to balanced training. And we we were pretty messy for a while. I think that I had Scout for well over a year before I really felt confident about what we were doing with her training. And that I feel bad about that sometimes because I could have helped her so much sooner, I think, but we started listening to your podcast, started learning about Jay Jack, listened to every episode of dog training conversations with Chad and Jay Mm -hmm. caught up on the GRC dog talk podcast, worked with a couple of in-person trainers in Madison, and that helped us to get confidence that she could be around other dogs without reacting. To be honest, that was something that, I wasn't sure if it, if it would ever be possible again. I just didn't know. And we had a couple of consults with a few force-free trainers who told me that it might just be lifelong management, that I have to drive her somewhere at three in the morning to walk her because she can't see other dogs. And I, I wasn't happy with that answer, with that lifestyle. So that kept me pushing for more. But then we also had a couple of consults, one in particular where it was a chain, a larger chain franchise, and I hate that I ever brought her there. This is a story not many people know, so now everyone will know it. That'll be fine. Essentially, they put an e-collar on her and continuously stimmed her as they walked her towards another dog, and they got her to sit next to this other dog without reacting. She was touching butts with this other dog, and she was completely silent, and she was also terrified and did not understand what was happening and did not understand the tool on her or what was being done to her. And that was really, it was really traumatic for both of us. I think I felt like I had completely betrayed her and here I was trying to get into balanced training and and help her. And I just ended up, I didn't do enough research and I I picked a franchise that um, we, we did not go back after that consult. So that, that was a bad experience, but the really good experiences started happening when I realized that I could do virtual sessions and that I could connect with trainers who I could research a lot. I could learn a lot about them. And for a while I felt really sad that a lot of the trainers who, who I felt like I was aligned with their methodology, at least from what I knew about it, were so far away from me in location. And it was really helpful to realize that I could have a video session with Jay and pick his brain about some of these things and subscribe to everyone's online content and really figure that out. So that was the biggest turning point for us was when I started focusing on play. I had, play was an afterthought. If I ever played with Scout, it was to physically tire her out because people told me that I had a cattle dog and a tired dog is a good dog. You know, that's a phrase that we've all heard. And when I switched my mindset of a tired dog is a good dog to a fulfilled dog is a good dog. And I stopped focusing on, are you physically exhausted? And I started looking into the layered stress model and asking myself, do you have clarity about our life together? The answer for a really long time was no, absolutely not. Are you healthy? Do you feel okay? What other stressors are there in your life that when we see these dogs out on the street, you have nothing left in your tank to handle it. That was huge. She's not a confident dog. I wouldn't even say today, After all of our work, that she's confident, she's fearful in new environments. It took her the the first time that she played with me outside of our apartment. We were just in this big, open, grassy field. It, It shouldn't have been a very difficult environment. We'd been in this field for weeks and weeks and weeks. It's right out back of our apartment here in Florida. And it was such a big deal the first time she played with me there that I just started crying out in the grass with her, that she was brave enough to play with me in this outdoor environment. That really transformed things, that idea of play and and building her up and also letting her know, like I, if I had to sum it up, it's a, it's a mixture of trying to teach Scout that reacting at other dogs isn't necessary because one, I will protect her. We've worked to build a lot of faith in Handler. I've gotten to intercept off-leash dogs since those early days where they all got to her. An off-leash dog has not reached her in well over a year. I've kept her safe. I've kept my promise. She's starting to trust me. Um, also counter conditioning, desensitization, just training in general, building value in me as, as her handler. And then, you know, the second part of that too, is that I show her reacting isn't cool. So I I want her to think it's not necessary because I have her back anyway. And then I also show her, no, that's not a cool thing to do. We've spent a lot of time building impulse control and frustration tolerance so that she can feel a certain level of fear but still hold her wits about her and look to me for direction instead of losing her mind. I don't expect her to ever, you know, I don't expect her to go to a dog park and run up to other dogs and want every stranger on the street to get into her space. I'm not going to ask her to be something that she isn't, but we've really had to work to find the, find this balance between accepting her for who she is, but not putting labels on her that limit her growth. So understanding that genetically, I don't think she's a sound dog. And I think we're always going to have some struggles. She's, you know, been shy and nervous from the day I met her, but that doesn't mean that we can't do really, really, really great things. And that doesn't mean that we have to live our life in a shoebox that is our apartment and never go outside. We can do so much. Like we can take her out to dinner with us. We can go to a dog beach. We can hike on trails and pass other dogs. At the same time, I'm never going to take her downtown in a busy city at at the busiest time of day to a patio that has 20 other dogs at tables right next to each other, like finding this balance of understanding how much she can do and how much we can do together. And I hope we do so much more. I've only had her for two years and I have really high hopes for us, but also not being sad if she doesn't turn into the world's most social dog. I think that for a while I had this dichotomy in my head that your dog is either a good social dog or your dog has problems. And I didn't realize how much in between there was. Mm -hmm. And so the, the trainers in the conversations that helped me realize that i could set the standards for life with her and and decide what what was success for us was huge like i will never expect her to you know sit still while 20 dogs that she doesn't know run around right by her and get in her face like mm. I, I will never ask that of her and there are dogs out there who can handle that no problem that's no big deal for them and that's amazing that's not my dog and I'm not going to ask her to be that. But I will push her and teach her and help her and ask her to do so many other things that I you know, never thought that we could do before.
1: I think that's probably one of the most important things you've said in all of that is that realistic expectations for your dog and accepting limitations where they are. And I think one thing we, we often overlook people and in dogs is that a strength somewhere is usually a weakness somewhere else. And so you say like, I'm not going to expect my dog to go out and sit on a patio of 20 people and other dogs and whatever. Now, like one of my dogs, Remy is a genetically engineered weapon, right? Like he is as stable as a dog can be. Hundreds of years of purpose breeding has led to him. He's highly trained. He is everything I want in a dog but I wouldn't fucking take him to a, a place like that. <laughs> like I just wouldn't yeah. do that Yeah. because like, I don't expect that of him. And and if that were his primary purpose, if that's why I had a dog was to take them places like that, I could train them to do that. But then he also wouldn't be what he is in the other places that he is that like it's, and it's, I think that's one of the issues that we sometimes see with people coming into dog ownership is that they want their dog to be everything. And for sure, some dogs can be that. And it's usually because they're just kind of driverless. Like it's usually the – like what you don't see is dogs that can go everywhere mm. and then perform as well, right? The dogs that can go yeah. everywhere just kind of exist and they're happy dogs and whatever, but they're also not going to win any obedience competitions. Like that's not happening. And nor do the people mm. want that from them, right? So I think that's one, the, yes. that's one of the things I find the most challenging, especially in my space, but it also exists in sort of the working – sorry, not just the outside – outside of the working space it exists in rescue and normal pet dog only and everything is having realistic expectations of your dog. And it, it's not even just to do with the dog. It's just reality of everything. Like you can't be a power lifter and a sprinter. Like that's not going to be a thing. And so when you expect your dog to be highly aroused and under control, you can't then also expect him to be like, no, just sit here for six hours and do nothing and don't display any drive in spite of all the stimulus that you know, comes in in front Mm -hmm. of you. I think it's also it's the image that communities and societies put pressure on people too to believe
2: that all dogs are frolicking in fields with hundreds of people and other dogs. (laughs) Yeah, Hayley, we run a lot of boarding and daycare and training centres in New South Wales, which is located around Sydney, and there's a lot of dogs that just don't enjoy the company of other dogs. They don't enjoy the daycare model. So it it doesn't work successfully for people, and people like yourself, when they're new to the industry, they're very confused about that because... (laughs) When they look at online marketing or when they look at some influencers, it's suggested to them that there's something wrong with that, that that's not the exactly. right. Yeah. And you mentioned it before when you started talking about you didn't want to represent that image as a, an influencer and you haven't. Like when I looked at your Instagram account and I went through and flicked through and looked at the story and, you know, what you were doing with Scout, what I gleaned from that is that you're representing hope to the community, that you had a dog that had a problem and, you know, through time and patience and care and love that you've got a dog now that you're more confident with and the two of you have grown together. So that's what I got from the story. I didn't get like you were sitting there going, you have to do this and you've got to do <laughs> this. And I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. And it's funny you did say that because after Pat and I did that episode, I got contacted by people who are influencers or consider themselves influencers And basically said, hey, if I ever do anything on the account that you guys think is a dick move, can you tell me? And I I said, yeah, I appreciate that. And I primarily said the same thing that you did is I said, just don't sort of become a dictator and tell people what they have to do. Like just tell people things that worked for you and maybe things that didn't work and share, you know, like the failure and the success of life with your dog and how it's impacted you or, you know, what ways that you found have been very successful and so forth. So I, I enjoy that. And I appreciate that you did that as well.
0: That means a lot to hear. I, I never expected on our Instagram account getting even really remotely big. And it it's still very wild when someone will message me and say, you know, so someone who I've never talked to before, I don't recognize their name. And they say, wow, like today was a really hard day with my dog. And I thought about you and Scout and that helped me somehow. And I'm just like, me? Are you sure? Like we still have a whole slew of problems and things that we're working on. But like two big points for me, the first, I was so unhappy with Scout when she first started showing this reactivity and and I resented her and Mm. she wasn't what I thought that a dog would be. and, And it wasn't healthy for either of us. I was putting all of this pressure on her. And I finally had to sit down and be really critical with myself and say, you know, why Why did I have a dog? So for me, I'm just a pet owner. I'm not a trainer. I love training. I think it's fascinating. Um, I want to keep learning as much as I can about it. But, you know, I don't want to be a trainer as a career. And I wanted a dog as a companion. I wanted a dog to enjoy life with a dog. That was my why and that's what mattered. And that's a why that I get to define like scout was never meant to be a competition dog or anything crazy. Like she has an advanced trick title and and we like doing things together. We go to group classes because it's good exposure and it keeps us on our toes. But my fundamental goal, my why of dog ownership was that I just wanted to enjoy life with a dog. I liked canine companionship and I wanted to enjoy that. And so I had to get really critical with myself about how do I enjoy that? And one of the ways was just to accept that our life does not have to look the same as anyone else's life. And as long as we are respectful in public and we're not hurting anyone. I mean, that I, I always hesitate to say people, they can do whatever they want with their dogs because there are decisions that affect other people in shared public spaces. And there are decisions that are bad for the welfare of the dog. And, and I hope that goes without saying. But barring those things, you know, I get to decide what I'm happy with Scout doing and not doing and I set the rules for our life. And it would be unhealthy if I let her live in a stressed out state all the time. I certainly I I see some folks who quite I get quite sad because I can tell that their dogs are not living a a quality of life that maybe they could be. But I also get like what you said, Pat, where you just wouldn't take Remy to that environment because you just like don't really want to. Like I think that's so valid. I think there's so much pressure in the dog world to have a dog that can do all of these things. And sometimes I I sit back and I tell my fiance, Sean, and I'm like, look, like so-and-so just did this with their dog. And wow, do you think Scout could do that? He's a very pragmatic, logical person. So he'll just kind of study me for a second and he'll say, yeah, she probably could, but like, do you want her to? Like, do you want to do that with her? And those moments are so good for me to really be honest with myself and say, oh, like, Like she probably is at the point where I could take her to a patio that was super, super crowded. And as long as I kept dogs out of her space, I think she'd be really polite. I don't think anyone there would know that she used to have issues, but I would know that neither one of us would be having as much fun as we have when we go out to the field and we play Frisbee Mm. or when we sit in a, in a pretty empty park and read a book together, because that's just the kind of person I am and the kind of dog that she is. And there's no shame in Picking and choosing activities to spend our time on that make us both feel fulfilled. We don't have anything to prove. I don't need to take her anywhere just for my ego, just to show that we can.
2: That's the absolute bomb right there. And I think that the question a lot of people have to ask themselves is who am I doing this for?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the worst things about social media sometimes is that there is so much Mm. pressure. I felt that pressure when I came in. I was so intimidated and there's this idea of an everywhere dog, you know, a dog that is stable and trained and can come with you everywhere. And I love that idea. I think it's amazing. And I think there are dogs out there who fit that. I also think there are dogs like Scout who could play the role if we asked them to. And I know Scout would do that for me. Like I, I know that she will work for me. If I put her in a situation that's hard for her, she will still do her best. And I I have confidence in that but why am I doing it? And it, is she enjoying it? Just because she could be an everywhere dog doesn't mean that she should be or, or that she'd like to be. I just had to get honest about why I had a dog. And if what I was doing was conducive to the life I wanted to live with her, like I never got a dog to go to dog parks anyway, even before I brought Scout home, I had no interest in going to a dog park. Why was I sad that my dog didn't want to other dogs in her face. That's a perfectly reasonable thing. I don't want strange humans in my face. And I kind of had to get over this idea that she was broken or that something was wrong with her. I had to be honest about what things were problems. It's not healthy for her to see a dog and, and freak out that much. I mean, it's not healthy for her to be reacting at every dog we see. Obviously there was a problem and we needed to work on that but it's okay if she doesn't want strange dogs on the street sniffing her. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And if we're polite in public, if we're safe and respectful to the people around us, and if at the end of the day we're fulfilled and we're happy and I love her and and she, she loves me and she's happy to be around me and she enjoys me. That's why I have a dog. And I was putting all of this pressure on myself that didn't need, it didn't need to be there. And it, it just wasn't healthy for either of us. So that was huge to realize like, Why do I have you? And what does our life need? Like who gets to set the standards of what our life looks like?
1: Mm -hmm. Hey, on the training side, let's talk about that. So one of the things I think people overlook and sometimes it gets a little bit left out of the conversation is that aggression can be extremely empowering for dogs because, and I think your dog is probably from what you've described is it fits exactly that scenario where there was a time when she felt powerless And then, you know, at the last straw was like, okay, well, aggression is all I have left. And it turns out, holy shit, this is very effective. And so sometimes we see that, you know, it it can be difficult to talk about because we don't know the really true feelings of the dog. We can only go by what we observe. And it's good that you were able to intervene early because sometimes when a case like yours goes on for many years, the dog can basically forget why it is being aggressive and just knows that it is. And it, it just sort of takes that role of like, hey, I'm the aggressive dog and I take charge of every situation that I'm in. This gives me a lot of power. Mm. And when we steal that power from them, and there's a few ways we can do that, then we have to it creates a vacuum and we have to fill that somehow And I think that's probably why you've been so successful is linking up with Jay and bringing in the play piece and then that can really empower a dog. And you can show a dog like, hey, you know, you have a lot of power, you can do a lot of things. Within the confines of this game that we're playing, you are an entity of yourself and you can push me around and you know, you have autonomy, right? So I know that by introducing play and getting very good at that, we can decrease aggression but there's two reasons the aggression might decrease. And I'm curious, which you know, you maybe did or experienced is first the dog can go, well, I don't need to be because this aggression makes me feel powerful. Therefore, when I have play also making me feel powerful, I don't need to fill the cup anymore. Or did it go a different way where you were like, Hey, you can't do that. You don't have the power that you think. And both can be effective and you might choose different angles for different dogs. I'm curious which you went for. And And then if it's the second, then was it a case of like your aggression isn't as effective as you think it is and we need the right dogs for that kind of thing? Or was it more along the lines of, hey, like that's actually, you can't do that. He's, he's, you know, coercion out of that behavior tools, whatever it was. Can you speak on that for a little bit?
0: Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Is it fair to say that it was a little bit of both? Because I think it might've been for Mm -hmm. her. Um, where i definitely think that she came to me as a very shy dog shut down is the word that i would use in a lot of environments and definitely confidence building in general like confidence building through play body awareness confidence building she used to be afraid to put two front paws up on a chair or a bench and nowadays if i give her permission i always want to be clear that it's with permission but she will jump on top of my fridge she will get on the counter and then onto the fridge and she'll climb trees and she'll do all of these really fun things Um, And and that ties back nicely to this idea of who gets to set the standards for our life, because a ton of people listening are like, oh, my God, I would never let my dog on the fridge. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm cool with it. If it's if we have clarity about when that isn't isn't okay, and like it's safe and, and done in a, you know, a responsible way, that's fine. So I think that that was huge, like helping her feel empowered in other ways. And then also definitely showing her that her reactive display, the barking and the growling and lunging was not effective. The scary thing is going to go away if you don't react, like you don't need to react to make that scary thing go away. And it's not effective and and I'm not cool with it. It took me a while to be comfortable talking about punishment, especially with a dog like Scout because she is soft and super connected to me. She's physically hard, socially soft. She's very, a cattle dog in that way. You know, that's common of the breed where where I am her person and she is so attentive to me. And she, like, if I stub my toe, she thinks that she might have done something wrong and will try to appease me because i'm angry and frustrated that i stubbed my toe and she can just kind of feel that radiating off of me. So we had a lot of success with social punishment where once we built a relationship which, you know, was was also a huge part of the part of the work. I think that we did not have a strong relationship for months after i adopted her and i needed to build value in myself, value beyond you know, I hand fed her from day one, like from the very first day I brought her home, even before she started showing reactivity. There were lots of things that we did um, that, that helped me have value and that helped us. But I had to start building value in myself as a as a fellow creature and and play helped with that, like building a relationship that went beyond controlling resources and that was a little bit more social was really effective for her. And then that social punishment bit, she hates she hates to disappoint me. That, that sounds very humanizing. I'm not sure if she understands the concept of disappoint, but, but I know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like if I let her know that I'm not cool with her reacting, that's incredibly effective. We, we did use a prong collar. Um, we still use the prong collar. Sometimes we've mostly faded it just because it's harder to give an accidental correction on a flat collar. And I'm very clumsy. I've been known to trip over the leash every now and again. So if she's on a flat collar where I'm not going to act, she- she's very sensitive. Um, The the slightest pop is all she needs. So I like that we can use a flat collar and the chances of an accidental correction are, are less for her. Again, that's just something for us as individuals. Mm -hmm. We still use it. It's still in our toolbox. That was really helpful to break some of that intense fixation in those moments. But really what the type of punishment that worked after that interrupter was social punishment and saying, Hey, you don't need to react like in the first place. Like I'm not, I'm not going to make you feel helpless. I think that For a while, what I did was try to punish the reactivity, but I didn't really show her that I was advocating for her. So I put her between a rock and a hard place because I was like, okay, you can't do this aggression thing, but also there's no way out of the situation. Like you just have to deal with it. And that is very unfair. I cringe. It's hard to look back on those moments. So a huge part of it was, you know, this, this isn't necessary. I will take care of you. No, reacting is not cool. Like you can't overreact. You can't yell at every dog you see from across the street. That's not okay. But you don't have to because if you don't yell at the dogs, I'm not going to force you to get right next to them. Like it, it was, it was sort of an agreement that has gone back and forth where she holds her head together. She looks to me for direction when she needs help. She exercises the impulse control to feel emotions and not immediately act upon them. But I hold up my end of the bargain too, and. We live in an apartment building still. An, an example of this is if we are going out for a bathroom break and it's late at night and we get surprised around a blind corner by someone whose dog is right there in her face and I don't I don't see that dog I'm not prepared. I usually walk her in a heel or in middle in the hallway so that we can avoid those situations. There have been times where you know we've gotten ambushed and she might still let out a bark or two. She'll get startled. I'm okay with her getting startled. I'm okay with her having emotions. I'm okay with her having initial reactions. It's the recovery. Mm
2: -hmm. That point that you made about the recovery, I think that's essential news that everybody needs to really listen to. I was just literally talking to a group of students about this the other day when we were talking about puppy socialization. And there's a lot of times where people get really concerned that if something happens and a puppy gets startled. And I said, well, that's normal behavior. When a puppy gets startled or when a person gets startled, they react to it. The reaction's not a problem. The recovery is. Like if it takes you a long time to recover to it, like if that pup just runs away and hides for long periods of time, that's certainly something that I'm going to say that's a key issue in itself. But if you drop something and the pup jumps or shrieks or something like that and then turns around and walks over and investigates it, big deal. That's fine. No problem. The other point that I also wanted to raise too, which was essential in the conversation that you were having, and it's a really good point, I think we've said this more or less together when we've been talking, is... There's a lot of times where people in the community were talking about reactivity and aggression and people will always say, which I absolutely adhere to and agree with is that you can't punish fear away. Absolutely agree with that. But when a dog has been instrumental in its choices, like it's saying, I'm scared, but now I'm going to be violent towards you. You can punish that as long as that's not connected to the fear itself. But if the dog is thinking, well, I'm going to, you know, like I'm going to try and attack you or I'm going to lunge at you or anything like that, you can tell the dog that's not okay. You know, you can't do that. It's okay to be fearful and we can deal with that. We can work on that as a separate issue, but you're not allowed to then respond and be violent towards other dogs. And that's very confusing and there's a lot of conflicting information out there in the public about that at the moment. I mean, we've had dogs in here before that have been scared and we know that. We understand that the dog is scared and we work on that as a separate issue. You know, we try and help the dog feel more powerful and confident in other areas. And as Pat said, you know, like when you start removing that and you create that vacuum, you allow for other other activities to fill that space, such as the play thing. I love that. I think that's great. And the great thing about doing this podcast and listening to people with their different thoughts and their different techniques is it gives you other ideas of things that you can plug in or bolt onto an area that's occupied by nothing or something at the time that's adverse to what you actually want. So the whole discussion around aggression brings out a lot of emotions in people as well. And the other thing that they do And listening to your story on this, Haley, is another thing that people do do, which is disappointing, is they do get somewhat down the way of repairing what's happening with the dog. And then they feel confident again and say, okay, well, now that you're feeling better about yourself, we're going to go back to a dog park. And they take the dog down to an area exactly where the dog doesn't want to be. Whereas what they really need to do is understand, I wanted this, but I'm not going to get that. That's not what's going to happen for me. What I've got is a dog that has a different lifestyle than the one – it's not the fairy tale story that we really wanted at the start. That's okay. We've got a different relationship and we've learned about each other along our little journey and we can cut a new path now. Something that wasn't originally in our game plan, but our game plan is modified and changed along the way. And that's a conversation a lot of people in your predicament originally have to come to terms with. And it is something, unfortunately, that you do have to come to terms with that. Because fundamentally, a lot of people, when they get a dog that's solid, let's talk puppies again. If you get a puppy that's well-bred, very confident, and the breed has done an amazing job, you start at zero, Whereas when you get a dog from a rescue center or you adopt a dog from anywhere or get a dog from your next door neighbor, and it's already got these aggression issues or fear of the environment, you're starting sub-zero. So you're starting in a negative aspect. So you're starting like negative five or something like that. Then you need to build yourself back up to zero and start working on your fundamental core behaviors from there on in. And that's a hard thing for people to process especially when they really don't understand much about the relationship of them and the dog together but you know what yeah. it's actually character building for a lot of people when they do this it's like climbing a mountain i say to people a lot of times once you get through this you're going to be a whole new person and it will really give you a different set of directives in life i know you said this at the start which i really appreciate cuz i i see this in so many people and i think it's such a beautiful thing is that it helps them grow as well. It's not just about the journey of fixing the dog. It's somehow along the line, you fix things in yourself as well. And I think that's a lovely thing to say.
0: I couldn't agree more that growing with Scout has, it's made me such a better person in that I've always been a pretty insecure person. I mean, I'm young. I look young. I've never had that much confidence. There've been so many areas of my life that just all throughout you know, all throughout growing up, I've, I've had some issues with that I really needed to work on. And then having Scout and being responsible for her is part of what lit that fire underneath me to address some of these things. Because how can I help her be less scared, be more confident, be less reactive if I'm also those things? Mm-hmm. And, and having the confidence to say, this is our life and we're happy with it and that's enough especially when you put yourself out there on social media. Again, I was not expecting our account to ever have 10,000 people following it. That blows my mind. It's very exciting and humbling. And and it's also really nerve wracking sometimes to realize that everything you're putting out there can be seen by all of these strangers who don't have the full context. and, And maybe they don't know you and maybe they're going to misunderstand you. And there can be all of these worries and all of these fears. And that might be something that's a little bit more prevalent with my generation. Like I definitely grew up around some more of that. But ultimately having the confidence to say, you know, when you talk about about that spectrum, having that conversation with yourself and realizing, oh, maybe the expectations that I have for this dog aren't fair. Finding that balance, finding that midpoint between fairy tale dog of my dreams Mm. and dog I currently have who I'm having a ton of issues with, I think that looks different for everyone. And, And it's such an individual thing to decide and come to terms with for so many reasons. You know? every dog is an individual and there's genetics and past experiences and so many things going into that dog. And every human is an individual. And you might live in a different environment than the environment that I live in. And so there might be things that are attainable for you that aren't for me or vice versa. And I really had to develop the confidence to say, I get to decide what this looks like for us. I get to decide what success is and Right now, the life that we're living feels like a success to me. I still have goals. There are so many more things that I want to do with her and I never want to stop pushing us. But I finally embraced the confidence to say, you know what? I'm happy with my dog and she's fulfilled. And the ratio of times that I feel super overwhelmed and regret having a dog to the times that I think, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever is so, so, so in our favor lately. And I wasn't brave enough to even think about that. In the beginning. I felt, you know, you see the stories, maybe you see someone else on social media or a trainer posting a video and there's a dog that's reacting and, and it looks a bit like Scout. And then you see what that dog becomes at the end of the video. And then you see another video like this. And, you know, now you've seen a hundred videos of a hundred different reactive dogs and you have this idea in your head of what they have to look like. And I think that we can go too far in either direction on this spectrum where It makes me sad to see people who say, oh, well, this is who my dog is and I'm never going to work on it and we're just going to walk at three in the morning and avoid everything. Like that makes me sad because I almost did that with Scout and now every day we do things that I didn't think we could do and it feels so exciting and wonderful. But I also think you can go too far in the other direction and set a standard that's so high that you'll never reach it and you'll always be disappointed and upset with your dog.
2: Mm. I think a question that a lot of people Fail to ask themselves a lot these days. And I think it's a pressure from social media is what is enough? There's not enough of that going around because I think everybody is seeing and getting a bit of FOMO with a lot of things. And there's a lot of marketing and a lot of pressure out there that unless you have this house or this car or this amount of money, sometimes they're very successful in what they've done and they just don't understand is this enough? Because they're always worried, you know, like am I keeping up with the Joneses? Am I doing this? Am I doing that? Sometimes you just got to find that you've done so well and you've got to look back at the journey and see how far you've come.
0: Absolutely. Mm. And, And just giving yourself the freedom to accept that multiple things can exist at once. I can be really proud of my work with Scout and so happy with our daily life. And I can also have goals that I want to work towards and things that I hope are different in two years or better in two or three years. And and those things can exist at once. I can be proud of us while still wanting to grow further. And I think that I struggled with that for a while where I felt like I had this end goal in mind. And if we weren't this perfect team that I wanted to be, then I I couldn't celebrate and I couldn't be proud of us. And now I've realized that I can have goals that we haven't reached yet. And I can hope that we keep growing better. And and I sure do. Like I, I hope that where we are today isn't where we are in another seven years At the same time, where we are today is just miles better than where we were two years ago. And hell, yeah, I'm going to celebrate that. I'm going to enjoy a walk with her at Liberty on a Flexi, recall her off of squirrels, pass other dogs and cry with joy when I get home because two years ago, I never thought I could do that. And then we're going to get to work and keep working towards those other goals that we still have. And just realizing that those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Like you can be proud and happy. Mm. but also want more at the same time.
1: Knowing that you've worked with Jay, and I know this has got to have happened. It might take you a while to think of one, but I I know this has has to have happened at some point when you're on a call with him, he's been telling you some mechanism, some technique, some, you know, metaphor, whatever, about how to help your dog through whatever situation and you have in that moment forgotten your dog exists and think that he's talking to you about your own personal (laughs) things there has to be at least a few of those. What's the one that comes to mind straight away?
0: I think the one that comes to mind right away is I had a call with him a couple months ago where Scout's reactivity was to the point where I was really focusing on the little details. And and that in itself was exciting to me. Like I no longer was afraid out in public that she would freak out at a dog from far away. And now I was like, okay, we're sitting at a bench and a dog walks by us eight feet away. And she maybe starts to low growl a little bit, like how in this exact moment, like things that felt like such a small deal in comparison to the problems that we used to have, but I still wanted to address. And he told me an analogy where he's, he's okay if his dog growls a little bit or communicates that it doesn't like something in the environment, but he's not okay with his dog yelling across the environment at that thing. Mm. And the example that he used is, you know, if you're, you're at a bar or a restaurant with a buddy and somebody walks in that that your friend absolutely hates and your friend kind of elbows you a little and they're like grumbling to you and they're like, oh, like, I just can't stand that guy. Like, I hate that guy. You're fine with that, right? Like, you know, if they keep doing it excessively, if they start ruining your night because they won't stop complaining to you, you're going to tell them to knock it off. Like you're going to be straight with them, but you're fine with them expressing that they're having this emotion or, or, you know, like for me, like maybe one of my friend's ex-boyfriends walks in and she's like, oh, I can't believe that, you know, he's here. But it's so different if that same friend, you know, her ex-boyfriend walks in, she stands up and starts yelling at him when he comes in the door. Oh my gosh, that's not cool. And I'm Uh going to stop that. That was so key for me as I looked back on some of my interactions with friends and, and just growing up, and building deeper relationships and the friendships I value most today are the are the friends that hold me accountable, like the friends who tell me when I'm making a fool of myself, who tell me when I'm being childish and push me to be better. But those friends still let me have my emotional moments. They still let me elbow them and say, I can't believe that so and so's here. But they don't let me ruin their night because I'm complaining and they don't let me, you know, yell across the room. And it it felt like a really good analogy you know, the kind of friend that I want to be to my friends. I want to help them be better. I want to hold them accountable. And I also want to be there for them and say, yep, I hear you. Like, I'm not happy he's here either, but we've got to handle it. So, Mm. so let's handle it now. That was key for me. That was a great moment.
1: Definitely. That's, that's cool. Mm. You know, on that, it sort of reminds me when you were talking before about you doing a lot of faith in handler stuff and we were talking before about aggression being powerful and all that kind of stuff is the way some people don't necessarily put their links together about how your own confidence when you do that faith in handler type drills, right? Like how you can rehearse confidence yourself. And it's kind of one of those fake it till you make it kinds of things. Like you can just pretend that you are. And and if if you can convince the dog, like I'm super confident, you can avoid the problem. And maybe you're not pretending after a little while. You know, one of the analogies I, I like to use on that is, you know, I've been in another life. I've been a bodyguard to people and not sort of in a like status symbol bodyguard like as in they'll get their head cut off on Al Jazeera if they if they were without bodyguards. And what's amazing to me is the ridiculous risk some of these people take knowing because they have a bodyguard. So like these are people that wouldn't leave their hotel without it. there's not a chance they would walk out the front door. And then you go, well, hey, I'm the guy with the gun, like I'm here and there's six of us and we're going to go out on the street. Suddenly they're the most confident people on the planet. (laughs) And what you don't ever let them find out is you go like, you know, it's just six of us. Like if this town of people decide to steamroll us, we're dead, right? And Mm -hmm. it will happen in an instant. Before we get a chance to do anything about it, it will be over. But you can never let them find that out, right? (laughs) So as that bodyguard, you're like, oh my God, I have to keep this guy from doing stupid things, but also be making sure that the things don't happen to him. And you can really observe the change. And I think that relates a lot to the dogs as well. When we can go like, Hey, I've got you. Like you just relax over there. You don't have the skill set to take care of this. And frankly, neither do I, but you can never find that out. Right. (laughs) And and so long as that I interrupt Uh. all the problems when they're small and manageable for me and never let them become Mm -hmm. such a big problem that I do get over overrun, then you'll just be fine. And it's an interesting one because I just wanted to sort of bring it up because it sort of relates to what you're saying there. And, I often say, hey, aggression is empowering, right? Like you can be, you can feel powerful and and a lot of dogs that are being aggressive do so because they like it. It can start out as being like, you know, I've got a problem with whatever and I've taken charge of the situation and then they can go, holy shit, I like that. So even before Mm. I get the chance to feel bad, I'll take control of this situation and get out in front. It's intoxicating. It totally can be, yeah. Mm But having seen people do that and because, you know, when I'm talking about these people, we have to, they're politicians that I have in my mind. They're aggressive fucking assholes, right? Within their (laughs) correct environment. And then you put them into the different environment where they know, oh, I don't have a skill set to be aggressive here. I won't show it at all. I hide in my hotel room. And then you go like, well, here's your bodyguard that does have the capacity to be there. They're worse, but they don't yeah. have to do the problem. Their confidence just goes through the roof. So you can really empower through that. And that's one of the things I think with that drill that sort of is so powerful for the dog. The dog gets to see, oh, you've taken control. And by practicing it the way that I'm sure you have, then – You get to demonstrate control, but also rehearse yourself. Oh, I am taking control of this. And the effects that that can have on the dog leads to exactly what you were just saying there, where the dog can give you the subtle signal and go like, hey, get rid of this guy for me. Rather than having to say, I have to take control of this situation because as a team, we have to control this space. We need, you know, we have to regain our power in this moment. I don't need to do that. I can grumble to you and go, hey, fix this issue for me. And if you do, then you can reduce the necessity of the dog to do that because the dog goes, oh, you read the play, right? I had to nudge you a little bit and you read it. And, you know, hopefully I don't have to nudge you anymore. And the dog trains you to advocate for them better. It's a really powerful thing. And and, and yeah. I think it gets overlooked when we sort of, we're in an operant model where, you know, oh, it's the dog's being aggressive. We can punish that away. And the behavior for sure, we can't. But then when we got to go, hey, there's many ways to increase the confidence of the dog and desensitize counter is just one of them. That's where as dog trainers, we can get stuck in this like, I'll get a little bit closer and I'll give you food and you will make the pairing between the two <laughs> things, right? Uh-huh. Like we can get really stuck in that. Whereas if we think sort of at a more, a little bit more ethereally and say like, hey, I got you, man. Like I, I have the capacity to protect you and I fucking will. Mm. So like yeah. just relax, right? And that can be... Exactly, as Glenn, you just said, like that, the aggression can be intoxicating. So too can knowing that you will be protected, because Mm -hmm. I've seen it. I've seen people who have bodyguards take outrageous risks, knowing (laughs) that the someone else, this is someone else's problem. I'll just fucking skirt through this, and you'll have to protect me. People at nightclubs do it too. Exactly, we, you know, like we see that where an old mate
2: will have three mates with him where he wouldn't usually go up and be aggressive and start a fight. But if he's got three mates standing behind him, all of a sudden, bam, out comes the aggression.
1: Yeah. You can also limit his aggression because he knows he's got these people that would take care of that situation for me. And that's where we see like paid bodyguards. You see Mm. that all the time, right? Hey, you have to go deal with that. That's your problem. And when you can convince the dog that I'm the paid bodyguard, like I will do this. I will do this every time. You Mm. will never be in trouble. The dog can go like, oh, well, like I don't need to worry about it. And if you let people through, then – they must be all right by that stage because I've, yeah. I've seen you stop all the problems. Mm. If someone decides to come through, then they probably are okay. And so like I say, I, I think that that's one of the layers of depth to treatment in this kind of space that is seldom talked about and seldom really very well understood because as dog trainers, that's kind of a hard thing to explain and, and to convey in a way that people will believe you. What, what's easier mm-hmm. to say is desensitized counter condition, you know, punish behavior, words. like all the things, right? Mm. Yeah. but yeah. And it still is just desensitized counter condition. It still is the exact same thing. But it's a form of. Yeah, but mm. it's not. the oh, variation. We'll, we'll get a bit closer. We give the food. You think the food, <laughs> this thing gives you the food. Like mm. it, it's just, a, it's another layer yeah. to that where the dog goes, okay, like I'm not in the trouble I think I was in. Mm. And this isn't going the way that I think it was going.
0: I love that you phrased it like that too, because I used to sort of half-heartedly do faith in Handler because I was holding on to some embarrassment that Scout might react And I was afraid that, you know, I was afraid of my dog looking like an asshole. And that prevented me from fully focusing on what she saw as the problem. And she could tell when my attention was divided, when I was paying some attention to this dog that was trying to approach her, but also a lot of attention to her. Like, I don't want to humanize her too much, but I'm pretty sure she was thinking something along the lines of like, stop looking at me, like, look at that, like, stop that thing. And the best faith in handler moments that we had, like, like the turning points for us were moments that were so intense. I actually like, I forgot about worrying about scout reacting and was just a hundred percent. I can't let that dog get near my dog. Mm-hmm. And I completely forgot that scout was even, I mean, I didn't forget she was there. Obviously I was stopping the other dog because I knew she was there, but, but you understand what I'm saying. Those moments where I, I let go of all fear of what scout might do. And then realized that when I focused my attention on what she saw as the problem, she did nothing. Mm. That was what she needed from me. And the the first few times that that happened, we were, we were at the beach, there's leash laws there, but people let their dogs off leash pretty frequently. and, And you know, they'll often run over the first few times that happened. I realized, Oh my gosh, I don't have to keep getting slightly closer and bribing you with food and all of these other things. If I address the problem, it was this light bulb moment for me where I knew the concept of faith and handler and We had tried to implement it. We'd done a few setups, Mm. but when I finally properly invested myself in it and I just said, I don't give a shit what you do scout. I'm keeping this dog away from you. She was perfect and just stayed still and quiet because she could obviously tell that I was addressing the the problem. It was a huge moment for us.
1: Mm. Those kind of situations can make or break, you know, and depends on those real life, real stress, that's a coin toss sometimes because, you know, in, in spite of your best efforts, you can't always do it. Two dogs, it's hard to manage, right? You've got your one dog that you need to keep two dogs away and, you know, you don't oh, know either, yeah. like it can be, if you pull it off, the dog can look at you and go like, wow, you're, you're it. You've got control. And if you don't, the dog can be like, you're a piece of shit and, and, and I have no faith in you whatsoever, right? And it, it's lucky for you that it went the, went and the good way.
0: Happened- That's what happened in the beginning with us. I mean, literally like those first few months we got charged left and right. It it felt like, I mean, it was only like one or two a month, but when you're living with a reactive dog in the early stages and and dogs come at you, even if it's only happening every other week, you're like, holy cow, like where is this coming from? And I kept letting them get to her. And I think that's part of why it's taken us longer. Like we had that foundation. It's really clear. When I look back the first six or seven months of owning Scout, she had no reason to trust me. Like I was doing some things right. And I was trying and we started building pretty good obedience and impulse control, but like out in the real world, I, I did not have her back. That's why it's so satisfying to have her back now. But there are also places that I won't go if I'm alone with Scout, not because I don't trust her, but because I try to make a risk assessment. And to your point, what you just said, Pat, if the risk of us being approached by multiple dogs at once is past a certain threshold, I just say, I'm not going there unless I have backup. I've been embarrassed to say this in the past because some people will say that you know I need more confidence, or, or you know some some people look at this in a certain way. But I won't go to the beaches near us unless we're with my fiance because sometimes there are six or seven off leash dogs at once, and I know that physically I cannot keep that many away from her if things went south. And I'm not willing to risk it at this point in our relationship when I've put in so much work to make her trust me to the degree that she does now. So I just say, all right, if, if it's solo, if it's just the two of us, we'll go somewhere else. That doesn't mean we're not gonna go anywhere. It doesn't mean that we're gonna confine ourselves to the apartments and not and not live life. But there are environments where that risk, the risk of me not being able to have her back and, and the risk of eroding our faith in Handler is so high that I just say, cool, like we'll save that for when Sean is with us. And then there's two of us and we can keep you safe. Yeah. Or you know, when, when we're in a group of people. I used to be embarrassed of that. And now I just see that as another form of advocating, like advocating starts before I leave my house. I need to think critically about the environment that we're going to, and if I'm equipped to handle it. And if the answer is no, I don't think I could keep you safe. Then I I just don't go and I've I've let go of the embarrassment about that because it, it's just the right decision for my dog.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to speak back to you know what I was talking about before, acting as a bodyguard, like that's a huge part of it is route selection. Where people say, "Hey, we got to go here," and we go, "We can't get you there." That's that's not happening. Fucking mm-hmm. think of something else, dickhead. That, that's not exactly. going down. Yeah, yeah. Yep. and and that's taking control of the situation, and going like, I can't provide you what you need in that. Space. Here's the list of other things we can do, or the places we can go, the things we can do. But that's off the table today because I can't provide you what you need. Make better choices. Yeah, and so and and yeah. especially with the dog. <laughs> the dog doesn't know that you're not going to the beach. The dog just knows you're going somewhere else. Mm. So it's like it, it's it's totally fine. It's no biggie. My dog doesn't know about the things he doesn't get. He just doesn't know about <laughs> exactly. it. Right? exactly exactly. Yeah. Oh, so that's like the for best me, it's
0: thing about a dog.
1: <laughs> yeah, for me, it's the tide. Like I don't have issues with other dogs and stuff, but my dog loves to swim he's crazy for it and i have to be careful where i take him because if i turn my back and there's water if he gets the chance he's in that water and i can only take him at high tide otherwise he cuts his feet apart on the oyster shells like so it's like little shit <laughs> yeah. like that like i have to make decisions yep. about like no joke before i go if we're going out i've got an hour to give my dog we're gonna go fuck around we're not gonna train. we're just gonna go be a dog somewhere first thing I do is look at the weather app on my phone and see what the tide is. And that tells me which park I'm going to go to, because if it's high tide, I can go to the ones where he can run off and swim. And if it's low tide, I'm not going to risk him because that idiot will cut his feet off. He doesn't give a shit. Mm. He'll he'll care afterwards. And then he'll be like, oh, I've caused myself a mischief. Can you help me out here? But prior to that, he'll be like, oh, no, I don't care. So that's advocating for your dog. That's just setting up for success. And mm. whether it's a lunatic dog that will swim and walk on oysters versus a dog that's going to have issues with other dogs, that's just common sense ownership. And, and it's people that yeah. you know, just put themselves in those silly situations are the ones that are constantly having issues with their dogs. Mm. There's a German Shepherd I saw this morning that I regularly see in this area where I go that's like, it's a nerve bag. It has no business being in an off-leash dog park. They're the things oh. that
2: make you go, hmm.
1: Yeah, and I've I've said to the lady a bunch of times because I'm pretty good about it, but like because every time we see it, my dogs come running between my legs and are like, well, oh, we'll wait this out here. And it, we've had it oh, circling goodness. us and whatever and- It's never a concern because I can see it's just a nervous wreck. And if it actually became an issue, me and my dogs would sort that situation out. No problem, but it never (laughs) has. And I said to the lady a couple of times, I'm like, Hey, I'm a dog trainer. All the things that you're doing are creating this. And she just, Refused to acknowledge it, and then one day after it wasn't with my dogs, but it was another dogs. I saw a huge issue. I gave her Jazz's card. I didn't want to deal with it myself, but I gave her Jazz's (laughs) card. It was like, honestly, you really need. This is not a forever problem. You really can fix this. This is your your dog is nowhere near as bad as it appears, and you just I just keep seeing you here all the time doing the exact same shit. And never called, right? Like, never actually has taken any of the steps. So, I'm like, you're a bad dog owner. The definition
2: of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result.
1: Yeah. Like, you're a bad dog owner. You Mm. just keep putting your dog in the same situation. And eventually, the dog is going to get nailed by a dog that doesn't have the control that – like, by a strong dog that doesn't have the control mind to know, like, oh, I'm not allowed to do that. Mm. And she'll blame that dog. It'll be – you know, it'll be that dog's fault. And it's like, no, that dog just fixed the problem that you created. So like, yeah, I'm on board with you. I think advocating for your dog takes many, many forms and that's making decisions for them what they're not able to make. I think Mm. that's one of the big things that I think people forget. I know I'm ranting about it, but it it weighs heavily on me is that people put their dogs in, in stupid situations. And also like, it makes me angry when people talk about like, Oh, you should never punish a dog or anything like that. I'm like, well, in the wild sure like if you're just living that your best like caveman life wandering around with a dog no worries but you've we've created this artificial environment for the dog and it's not intuitive to the dog there's things that he shouldn't do that will get him killed and he doesn't know that because it's totally it's totally outside of his brain power to understand that a car is going to just cream him. So like I have to educate him on that and there's ways to do it. And if he does the wrong thing, punishing him is the correct thing. And there's many forms of punishment, but like showing him, you can't do that. I do it with my dogs. I do it with my kid. I have to go like, Hey, this is not the real world. This is not intuitive to you. You can't know that you shouldn't do that. I have to educate you on that. And funnily enough, dogs do it to each other. Exactly. Mm. Hey, you can't do Ah. that. Bam. Animals do it to each other
2: regularly. Yeah. 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 The nice thing in talking to you, Hayley, and many people like you is, again, you know, like I I know I've sort of referred to it before, but if you look at your story- where you are now compared to where you were. It's created and it's drawn a lot from you, whereas having a different dog may never have done that. Like you've learned so much about this journey. There's people that I've done consults with, even one recently where the lady was really upset about the whole situation that she's got this dog. It's not what she wanted. It's not the fairy tale. She's been to some other trainers and got some good advice from them. And she sat down with me and had a conversation with me just to check in to see that she's doing the right thing. And I said, look how far you've come. Look what you know about not just dog training, but about life. Fundamentally, she was rattling a lot of things that you were talking about before. She was discussing this whole point. And I said, that's the great thing about what you're doing is the recollection of what you know. And not only what you know, but now you're making better life choices. Like you're doing everything that you need to, to advocate for this dog and the lifestyle that you guys need to have. Hearing Pat talking about that story about that lady in the park, that's really disappointing. Because he's right, that dog will get into some horrible confrontation one day. It's destined to happen. It's just, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But when you've got people like yourself and other people out there in the community that understand, I have a problem. I need to work on it. It's going to take time and I don't know how long that's going to take. But I don't have to be so distraught by this journey. What I can do is I can put my resources and effort into learning how to be the best possible version of myself and learning about dog behavior and training along the way. Some absolute legends have emerged from this. Some of the best handlers I've ever seen and some wonderful trainers have emerged from tragedy. You know, like it's the pressure or the stress that's pulled this out of them somehow they've gathered so much information they've learned so much they get to part way along their story and go oh my god you know i actually know some shit now then they're better prepared for the next dog or even taking on a journey themselves into becoming a trainer or helping to encourage others that if you've got these problems here is a shitload of resources that you can now have access to
0: i think there's a reason that a lot of trainers have origin stories that start with a problem dog yeah and And I do think it, like you said earlier, I do think it builds character. Like I, there's still so much I have to learn. I like to think that maybe when it comes to theory, I'm like approaching intermediate. My execution is still pretty basic. Like there are so many things that I want to improve on with Scout, but I have learned so much. And I'm really excited about getting a well-bred puppy someday. And I feel every time I look at that puppy and do something good with that puppy, I'm going to be thanking Scout because of everything that I learned with her. And also realizing that, I've had so much fun with Scout, even on some of her worst days. I made it a point when her reactivity was really bad. We were in this third floor apartment. We saw dogs in the hallway all the time. It was a horrible situation, you know, maybe like three or four months into owning her. And and she would have at minimum like two or three big blow up reactions every day. I made it a point on the days that were really bad to do something with her that was fun. And that helped so much. And I realized, you know, okay, I can be pissed at you and I can be embarrassed and I can want to cry when we get back from a walk. But then I can do this other activity with you and and look at us like we can still enjoy each other. We can still have some fun even before we keep moving along on our journey. I had this idea in my head for a while that I couldn't enjoy my dog until she was fixed. And that was just completely wrong. I I had to wash that from my brain and say, I get to enjoy you every day and I'm going to help you be better. I want you to be a a respectful canine citizen and we're going to work on this, but I'm still going to enjoy you. And that's been so helpful because I know that when I get a well-bred puppy someday, I'm, I'm going to stress and I'm going to be so nervous about ruining this dog and making mistakes. And I will make mistakes, but Scout has taught me that even with a dog who wasn't my dream dog and a dog that has stressed me out. And, and I really, I really have resented her at times. Like there have been moments where I have just wished that I didn't have a dog. And I hate saying that out loud because I love her so much, but she taught me that I could enjoy so much fun and so many great moments, even with this dog who had these issues and was imperfect. And if I could enjoy that much with her, just imagine what I can enjoy with a dog who has solid genet- Like there's no, I, I can't, I feel like I can't lose anymore mm. because there were days that I thought she was the worst dog in the world. And I, <laughs> I really was over my head. And we still came through it and I love her and we have so much fun. And like, if I could do that with her, I just feel like we can, I just feel so much more empowered about owning dogs in general, just, Mm -hmm. just the journey in general. Like, I feel like I'm ready to enjoy what comes and accept the mistakes and learn from them and just say, you know what, like, it's not that bad. We'll get through it. We're, we're sad right now, but think about where we'll be in a month or two months or a year and just kind of, you know, keep moving along.
2: I think there's a lot of times where I've had things that have not gone so well for me. And I was talking to Pat the other day, we are sitting in the kitchen having a conversation and I was involved in this training program. And the first day went horribly. It was horrible. It was my nightmare session. And, you know, I sort of, I went back to the hotel room that evening because it was a whole week of training. And I thought to myself, this just isn't going really well. And I just thought, <laughs> you know, do you throw in the towel at this point? But I sort of sat there and I thought to myself, how do I turn this around? Like how do I look at this situation objectively and not focus on the negative? Like there has got to be a way that this can change. And sometimes that's in changing your own attitude and your own game plan. Like you can go into everything with a plan, but then you've got to look at it. I have to modify what I'm doing here because this is not working and more of the same will just get me nowhere. You know, I see a lot of that in a lot of people who are frustrated by having the dogs that you had and listening to you talking about at the start where you had her and you're thinking, I wish I didn't have this dog and then feeling guilty about that. But I think there's a lot of times where people have thought exactly the same thing and they never say it out loud, but they definitely are thinking it. But I think the way that a coping mechanism or a strategy that I can encourage people to have out there is try and come back and bring yourself back, you know, like try and calm yourself down about it and think – How could I handle this differently? What could I have learned from this situation? How could I have done it differently? As Pat said before, could I have gone to a different location? Would that have helped? Was I not reading the signs? Did I go one more time where I really shouldn't have? There's so many things that you can, you know, when you look outside of the situation that you're in, because once you're wallowing in the situation, you tend to go into a bit of self-loathing and pity and, there's a lot of emotions that you feel about it at that point in time. Whereas if you can sort of bring yourself back, put the dog away, have some separate time from each other, calm yourself down and think, all right, I need to come up with some better strategies and even write them down. If that helps you, if you're a tactile person and you need to actually put some you know, pros and cons on paper, what could have been different? How could we approach it different? How can I be different? How can I even think differently about that? You might not even have the answer yourself, You might need to ask other people, you know, learned people that you trust in the industry where you could say, I did this thing. This is what happened. What do you think that I could have done? And the community can actually help access to a great community, which we have. And that's one of the things that I love about the canine paradigm and the communities that we're involved in is that we have a great resource group of very learned and very caring people in our community that do give beneficial advice. And you can look over that and think, yeah, that might work or that really could work. And you could look at a selection of choices and think, maybe I'll try that. Maybe I'll just go out and try it a different way with a different attitude and we'll start Clean Slate the next day. I
0: think that's huge. Mm. Just being willing to just to keep going and to remember to have fun along the way, but also not to lose sight of what is possible. And and that's been one of the biggest ways that I've grown is I've just become more confident. And I'm in making Scout more resilient. I've become so much more resilient. We've had awful days where I feel like I'm failing her. And like, maybe I'm the the last person in the world who should have this dog. And her life would have been so much better if someone different had brought her home from the shelter. and, And I'll have these thoughts and feel so awful. And every single time we get through it, And every single time it happens, it's shorter and shorter and shorter. Mm. I used to feel like that for three weeks at a time in the beginning. I would have, I would have a low month where I was like, Oh my goodness. Like I'm letting you down. And nowadays I might have a low hour. Like we might have a low moment. I feel that way for a short period of time. And then we bounce back. And the same way that I prioritize scouts recovery time, if she gets scared, how fast does she recover? I've learned to appreciate my own recovery time. Like, how am I handling my frustration? How long is it taking me to bounce back and do something productive about it? And it's helped me in so, so many areas of my life that really transcend just being a dog owner. Like I'm more self-aware and able to pause and say, oh, okay, you're feeling emotions and that's awesome. Like, that's fine. Embrace mm-hmm. those emotions. Let yourself feel that, but pause and think about what's going to be a productive action to take on those emotions yeah. and don't let yourself wallow. And I'm far from perfect at that. I definitely am still working on this. The same way that you know we we're always all still working on things. But that's probably been the biggest lesson that she's taught me is that recovery time and and thinking about how do I use this information and what do I do next because I can't change that shitty interaction we just had. I wish I could undo it, but I can't. So how am I gonna prevent it, adjust it, change it next time? And, mm. and that's huge.
2: Well, yeah. one thing I can guarantee you is the days definitely won't be all fun, but they will be all lessons.
0: That's beautiful and, and so true.
1: And I think, you know, when you're working on those kinds of things, the awareness of it is the, is the most important part. You, you're constantly working on yourself and your dog. That's, that's a mm. never-ending problem. Yep. <laughs> but the awareness of it, you're understanding it, that's the most important. Mm. Hey, I'm going to wrap it up. Mm. Tell us your Instagram handle. How do people find you if they're interested in following along the journey? Give us the whole rundown.
0: All right, we are pause and reflect on Instagram. So that's pause, like, you know, a dog has pause and then a period and reflect. Um, We also have a blog at pauseandreflect.blog which was started because Instagram has a 2000 character limit and I am a, I'm a pretty long winded individual. Um, So we (laughs) we have some longer thoughts on the blog where I couldn't quite fit it in the Instagram captions. And then we're, or I'm also in the Canine Paradigm Facebook group, just as my name, Haley Young.
2: Groovy. All right. Anything else to add? Thanks for being part of our community,
1: Haley.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. This was wonderful.
1: Yeah, it was a fun conversation. really was. All right. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, you know, the best way to do that would be just to tell a friend IRL, like in real life. Just go to someone like, hey, here's a podcast you should listen to. Listen to that. haley has been doing that a lot. Yeah. And not just on the line. Do it in the real life. Harass your friends. Make them hate you. Push us. <laughs> 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 or, you know, another way to support the show would be Patreon. Flick us a few bucks a month there. That, that uh, helps us pay the bills. We put some cool content into that. Or... You could get a T-shirt from Teespring or a wall tapestry. Or a pillow. Or any, We've a got pi- pillows. A pillow now. We've got pillows. <laughs> We've got everything. Oh, look, she's got it on. Oh, she's wearing
2: one. <laughs> which one is it? Turn around. Show us.
0: It's the, um. Is
2: it the cool I started store?
0: box feeding. I started box feeding last fall, so I got this for Christmas. Oh, so the box so
2: feeding one. That Zoe matter. did. Yep.
1: The dimensions yep, yep. don't matter. <laughs> yep. That, that was it's one wonderful. That's, Zoe Needy did for us. The dimensions don't matter unless <laughs> you're harassing me, which is nonstop. Yep. <laughs> it's still you know at least once a week. That's cool. Minimum once I'm a glad. week. I'm glad. I still send them like, to, to, you, to hey, uh, you. Still just curious what those dimensions are. And not in a joking way either. Like like I can't start without it.
2: Yeah, people ask me and I said, I don't know. I asked Pat. He's, he he loves answering that question.
1: <laughs> I do not. Uh <laughs> And if you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that, if you're after like training information or you want to know the dimensions of the box, post that in the discussion group. You could search up some information. There. There's lots of info. But you could also shoot us an email. We are info at com. Goodbye. <coughs>